Hey, everybody! I hope you're liking the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast so far. We talk about show business, old friends, and new adventures. My next guest is someone that was very kind to me when I was just starting out in show business. Wide-eyed, new to it all, we worked together on a national tour of a chorus line, and she was just as nice as could be to me. She's warm. She's funny. She's beautiful. She's talented. This is Lauren Kosserin. She's been in 16 Broadway shows. I always wanted to be just like her. And you know what, everybody? I still do. I thought about you because my friend Liam was talking about the LGBTQ plus community, and he mentioned the Trevor Project. And then I remembered that you volunteered for them,、yeah. so that's why I thought of you. And then I was like, wait a minute, she could talk about so much, including the Trevor Project. Yeah, yeah, which I'm definitely passionate about the Trevor Project. <laughs> Very passionate about. So when we talked a couple weeks ago, you said that you were in a lot of shows, but a lot of your shows were flops. Yeah. <laughs> yes.、Um, in fact, let me take a look here. Let's see. The first Broadway show I did was a flop. Second Broadway show I did was a flop. <laughs> Then I got a couple of good ones.、Uh, the third one was a hit. Fourth one was a hit. Fifth one was a national tour hit. Smile was a flop. <laughs> Drood was a was a hit that ran for a while. Sophisticated Ladies was a hit. Then two more flops. Late Night Comic was a flop. In Broadway Grand was a flop.、Um, and then they were all hits to the bitter end, which was great. So I see sixteen posters on that wall. <laughs> you do. Ten were Broadway and six were first national tours. Amazing. Crazy, right? Good time. And when we met, <laughs> we were on the first national tour of a chorus line together. Yes, I had done the first national tour in 1982, and then you and、wow. I. Then I did a European tour in 1989, and then I did that tour with you. Was what was that? Was it 91 ish? Yeah, 92, I believe. 91, I believe. 92. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Those were the three. Tours of the that of a chorus line that I did, and then I tell that story to everyone about the gunny sack dress that I was wearing <laughs> at an audition. First of all, I just want to say, Lauren, you are one of the nicest people in show business that I have ever met. The whole time I've been in the business, you have always been so sweet, thank you, and so kind. And we were at this audition together, and I was wearing a gunny sack dress, which coincidentally they're back in style. I think I noticed you because you know you're such a beautiful woman, you're a sexy woman, and I remember I couldn't tell you what show it was we were auditioning for, but I remember that there was a breakdown that they wanted like sexy girls for the show, whatever it was. It was definitely you know. So to me, that meant you know. Probably black stockings and a high pump, black pump and a mini dress, tight mini dress, and just show your your features, right? So you have all the features, like your body, your everything about you is hot, and you were in like it was like you were auditioning for <laughs> Laura Ingalls in Little House on the Prairie. Ah, <laughs>、uh, like, I can't you know let her go to another audition like this because that you you know. When I had a lot of, I I had been around. I mean, I'm about ten years older than you, I think, and I had been around the block. And、um, I know that the first thing they do is they type you out before you even open your mouth to sing. You know, they they look at you and immediately they're either thinking, oh, please let her be good, 
because she looks right for what we want or, you know, or they're just like, oh, this is like not a woman in touch with her hotness, you know. <laughs> but to the listeners, Lauren was very kind because she could have not said a word, but she said to me very kindly, don't wear that. <laughs> she said, you have to be sexy. And then I looked at her and I believe you were wearing this blue mini dress with a high pump. Exactly. And I believe you booked that show. I think it was all night strut or something. Was there a show called that? Oh, like, that was late night comic. That hmm. was probably late night comic. Yes. I have a feeling. Yeah. Which was a flop. So you didn't miss anything. But <laughs> <laughs> But I learned a good lesson. Yeah, I and wanted hot. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. And yep. you were at the audition with me for Victor Victoria, oh, which yeah. I, I made it down pretty far for that audition. You and know, I was really I, psyched. Yeah, you did, right? Did, I, did you I, book? I did. I remember being in a final lineup of the ones that they picked. And I remember, I think you were in that final lineup in a rock yep. Carlo, who ended up booking it. There were like maybe six of us or seven of us in this final line. And I remember Tara Rubin, who was the casting director, going up to the producers and the director and saying, all right, this is the cream of the crop now, what you see on the stage. This is, this is, the, this is it. These are your final, like make a pick from these here. And, and I did not, I did not book it. I didn't either, but it was nice to get that far. Yeah. That was absolutely. a good... Yeah, that was yeah, a fun. And, and believe me, you got to hold on to those moments, right? Of, okay, you didn't mm -hmm. get it. But when you're getting that close that often, you know, it's just a numbers game at that point. You just got to keep pressing on, you know, like that's, that's like the feedback that you never get. We don't get feedback a lot. We half the time, we don't know why we didn't book something. Like we think we did great. We, we got, you feel that rapport, right? With, with the director, the choreography, whatever you, they're smiling at you that you can feel them rooting for you. And you, you come out of there going, Oh, I got this. And then you don't get it. And it's like, what, what, you know, but, and you may never find out why, but if you, if you're getting that far, if you're getting down to that last group, you know, after hours and hours, right. Or days of callbacks, that's, that's your feedback that tells you keep, keep, keep going. Just, you know, it'll happen eventually. Just keep doing what you're doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Where did you train? What was your early training? Cause these are things I don't know about you. Oh, okay. So for me, I had wanted to be a ballerina. So I trained at the School of American Ballet, which is the New York City Ballet's company um, at Juilliard. Um, and um, I studied there for like four years from ages like 12 to 16. And when I was 16, it was became very apparent I was not going to make it as a ballerina. I just, I really didn't have what it, it takes technique wise. I was a good dancer, but I, I wasn't good enough. And I had a ballet teacher that I also studied with in Westchester where I grew up on the days that I wasn't at Juilliard. And she had been um, with the Royal Ballet of Paris or Paris Opera Ballet, something like that. And she'd come to New York when she was young and she did ensemble and Broadway shows. Like she was in the original company of My Fair Lady as a dancer. And she'd done a lot of those like musicals way back when. And she said, to, and she had come, she loved me. She was like a mentor to me. And I had done this production of Godspell in high school in like ninth grade. And she heard me sing. And she said, you have a really good voice and you need to transition out of ballet and into musical theater. 
And so she sent me to HB Studios in the city to study musical theater classes. And she sent me to some jazz. I had never taken anything but ballet, but she was like, you, you need to learn other forms of dance for musical theater. You need to learn jazz, tap, right? So I, I did not want to tap. I refused to take tap lessons, which was the biggest mistake I ever made. Um, but I, I went to Ron Farella. I started studying jazz and they, you know, they used to make fun of me. They knew I was a little ballerina when I went in there, you know, with my little, like just dressed wrong for class and didn't know how to move my hips yet, you know. <laughs> and I started training throughout my high school. You know, I grew up near the city, so I took the train in after school every day and uh, go just from class to class to class, just to jazz class. I was still taking ballet wherever and, and, uh, and musical theater classes and just training really hard so that in my senior year of high school, I I wanted to start working right away. I, I didn't want to go to college because I felt that for the last four years, the whole time I was in high school, I was training with really good people and places in the city every day. And I felt like I had honed my craft and I wanted to start auditioning. And so my parents made a deal with me that I could graduate high school half a year early, like take all the courses I needed to take, be done in January. And I could use that time till the next fall to audition and if I didn't get anything then I would apply to college and go to college so that was kind of the deal we made and I booked the first thing I auditioned for and it was not a Broadway show it was an off off Broadway showcase at the Jason Park Royal of a Jerome Kern musical called Oh Boy starring uh, Judy Blazer who I yeah she was just starting out too and choreographed by a guy named Danny Levins who is in the movie, The Turning Point. He plays this real bitchy choreographer to the, the, the star ballerina. And he was our choreographer. And um, he loved me because he was from the ballet world and the audition was very balletic and that was very easy for me. Um, and at that point I had been studying voice. So I could pretty much handle anything you threw at me, whether it was like, you know, that belty thing or legit you know, soprano, like whatever they wanted. And Jerome Kern is very old fashioned. So it was more of a, like a legit type, you know, show. Um, and that was the first show I did. And when that show ended, um, I just was really lucky. And immediately I went to my first Broadway audition. Uh, I thought I was going to get my equity card, but I didn't get it. It, it, for some reason, um, from that off-off-Broadway show. And the first show I auditioned for was a show called um, Happy New Year. And what it, <laughs> it was based on a, an old black and white movie starring Katherine Hepburn um, called Holiday. So it was that script, but it was all um, Cole Porter music, like a trunk show. So they just kind of pulled out all these Cole Porter songs to make them fit into this, the holiday script. And John McMartin was the, the narrator of it. And um, Lara Teeter and I like opened the show with this incredible ballroom dance number. Um, and this was a show that I had to tap dance to get into. And I had no tap training at all. And I, I bombed at that part of the audition. I did great at the rest of it. And, and because they were looking for, this used to happen all the time with Broadway shows. They would always hire one or two non-equity performers 
Oh. It was cheaper for them, you know, uh, to pay us and all that stuff. But at the end of it, you could get your equity card. Okay. So they were having an, an open, an equity and a non-equity open call. And I went to the non-equity open call. And I was the girl they hired from that call, from the non-equity call. Um, and they kind of taught me how to tap dance. I just trained during my lunch hours and went to classes after rehearsals. And because they wanted someone to understudy the lead role who could sing it. And the show was such a heavy dance show for the ensemble. None of the girls could really handle the singing. So I was a natural choice to be the girl in the ensemble who was understudying the, the female leading role, which is how I got it. It was really my voice that got me into that show and not my dancing as much as my singing, but it made me realize I need to get stronger attack for sure. And that's a hard thing to start learning when you're older, you know, yes, it, it, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. Which is why I was really kicking myself that I didn't start when I was 14. Like my ballet teacher wanted me to start, you know, with tap and I didn't want to. And so, you know, and I ended up, you know, like I, I couldn't make it through the crazy for you call. And I remember Susan Stroman coming up to me and going, you are such a triple threat, but you've got to learn how to tap. Like, I can't hire you. And I was like, okay. And then um, I, I did, I, I started taking private lessons with my friends. So by the time I was able to audition for sophisticated ladies, I had enough experience, I thought, now to, to, to book that show. And I did go to the audition and I, I thought I did great. And the choreographer came up to me afterwards and said, you're not a tapper, are you? Like, have you had tap training? And I was like, I was devastated because I thought, you know, I mean, I still, it was a really hard, hard skill for me to master. And I said, you know, I have a very little <laughs> tap training, but I, I know I can master this. Like, and I was friends with a lot of the people who had done the, the Broadway show already. And uh, they had all offered to teach me privately um, every night if I needed to. And I said, I will, I will, I will work on this with you on my, on our lunch break. And I'll, you know, learn as much as I can. I'd actually learned the audition tap before I went to the audition. I called my friends who had done the show and learned the choreography. So I thought I'd done great, but she could just see, I did not have that technique. I just really didn't have that strong technique, but they hired me anyway. They hired me anyway. And, um, and I, became a much stronger tap dancer doing that show. But I mean, I'm telling you, I was very lucky to be extended that generosity of spirit by the choreographer. I mean, you know, a lot of what saved me over and over again, and I, I can name three or four shows where I did not have the strong enough tap ability, but like I could handle all the other dancing brilliantly in the show. And I sang better than anyone else in the ensemble. And that was what always, you know, they were like, well, we'll have you understudy the Terry Klausner role. You know, like they hit me with a hot note song because um, the other girls couldn't do that. But, you know, it, but it, it just it was the bane of my existence that I had. And so I think I think for all the kids now who are like not able to audition yet, you know, while Broadway's kind of on hold, it's like use this time to just hone whatever your weakest skill is. Could you just exactly. know what that one little thing is going to keep you from getting a job you're really perfect for? because they're not sure if you're going to be able to like master that particular thing, whether it's your legit voice or your mix in your belt or your, you know, whatever form of dance it is that's, that's in that show, you know, um, that was a big lesson I learned. So yeah. Yeah. When I look back in hindsight and I think, what would I have done differently? It's like, as soon as I decided not to be a ballerina, I would have definitely thrown tap class into the mix with all the other 
all the other forms of dance that I was trying to, to, to familiarize myself with. Do you have a favorite show that you did? I think Chorus Line's got to be my favorite show. I mean, I think it's one of the greatest shows ever written. And I think yeah. when we were lucky enough to be doing it, it was like, that was the rock star of shows. Like that was the, that was the one, you know, I think that was the one everybody aspired to be in because you got to be the triple threat that you were. You got to act, you got to dance, you got to sing, you got to have your solo moment. And you also got to be part of an ensemble, which I love. I love the ensemble stuff. I love it. My favorite thing is, is to be in a show where it's not all me, but where there, you get to have your couple of moments to shine and show off, <laughs> but then you get to be part of this, like, I don't know, singing with a lot of people for me is just a high like nothing else. There's just something about blending with all of those voices and this idea that from the beginning of time, people have come together to storytell through through plays and songs and dance. And it's like this ancient form of, of artistic expression and storytelling. And I remember when I was doing Beauty and the Beast, every night when we would do our company bow and we were in these like old fashioned, you know, period piece costumes and we were singing the finale and taking our bows, I, I it just was, it, Every night it would strike me as like, this is so amazing to be part of this group of people doing this, entertaining an audience like this. I don't, I, yeah. So, so chorus line for that reason, but like, just, I don't, I don't know. I think Joseph's Dreamcoat was one of my favorite shows because at the time, Andrew Lloyd Webber was a big deal and I'd never worked with him. And so that just felt very validating to get hired for a show that he, you know, was hiring for. And I loved all the boys in the show, all the men in the show. It was like, I never had brothers. And it was like, suddenly I had all these brothers. Um, That's wonderful. All these wonderful guys. And I adored them all. And it was just like going to camp every day to go do that show. It was, it was a short show. The whole show was like an hour and a half long. You know, you were out by 930. <laughs> and you could go out to dinner and everybody could hang out. And it was just, yeah, I don't know. It was just, I think because we started that show off Broadway as a little nothing at the Intermediate Theater in the East Village. And we didn't expect really anything to come of it. And the next thing we knew, we were moving to the Royale Theater on Broadway. And the next thing we knew, we were performing on the Tony Awards. And it was just like, just one joyful thing after the next with that show. It was just, just fun, fun, fun. So, I mean, I have a very special place in my heart, I think, for that, for that particular production. But they all, they all, even the flops, especially Smile. Smile was the first show I ever did. That was a Howard Ashman who wrote, you know, Little Shop of Horrors and, and Little Mermaid and, um, and, and uh, uh, Marvin Hamlish, who I had done several shows with. Um, and that was the first principal white contract role I had ever originated for a Broadway show. So that wow, was your original the, cast for that. That's original amazing. Cast, principal contract. And that was, you know, having done a lot of like ensemble work or featured ensemble or like understudying the lead to finally create something in a workshop situation that then got, you know, written in and, and really bring something of myself to it. That was very, very exciting. 
um, and very devastating that it only ran for a couple of months. It was a, a long gig. It, it it was a year of workshop to going on tour with it to hone it and fix it and shape it and then bring it into New York. And people were fired and rehired. And there was a lot of drama behind the scenes. But it was it was a great experience. It was just a, just being part of that create creative thing from the very beginning and getting it to a Broadway thing and doing like segments for sixty minutes and twenty. It was just it, it was a great great year of my life and very devastating when it closed. It never has been reproduced, has it? They do it in a lot of regional theaters. They do it at a lot of musical theater camps and okay. they do it in a lot of colleges. Yeah. Um, And actually, a few years ago, a guy named Richard Beaver wanted to bring it back. And so we did a concert version of it at uh, 54 Below. Nice. It was the whole original cast. I mean, Jody Benson came in, Anne-Marie Bobby, Tia Riebling. It was everybody. Everybody came in. And we just stood on stage and basically sang through the show. And there were all of these like fans like with posters who knew it was crazy it had such a cult following because it was it had been a cult movie it it was a a b black a b comedy black comedy cult film that was like so bad it was good you know and then that's why you know they turned into musical so richard kind of wanted to revive it but it really it it's not relevant anymore in this time you know it just it wouldn't hold up anymore it it really wouldn't make sense um to do it but it's great to do in like schools and camps and stuff you know and yeah it definitely happens and what was the last show that you did before did you have your daughter and then continue to perform or did you make yes, the change yes yes i um i had been on the, in the broadway company of kiss of the spider woman and then i went on tour with it um with cheetah was out on tour i closed the show in new york with Rhea Chinchita Alonso um, and I was her standby I was a standby for both the lead women on that wow um, yeah for Marta and for the Spider Woman and then when the show closed Cheetah was already at Cheetah Rivera was on the road doing the first national tour and Janine Lamana was playing Marta and she left and I took over for Janine now Janine was and I both we played Marta we were Marta in the show and we were we were Cheetah's cover so if Cheetah was out we went on for her and we had an understudy who went into the Marta spot and that's how that worked so I was out on the road with that and and my husband was pressing me to have a baby and I I, I talked to Cheetah a lot about that it was like I'm terrified and she was like if I can do it you can do it just go get it over with do it and you get back to this <laughs> so I said okay I, I left you know the tour we closed and I, I came home and we and my brother-in-law Michael Kosserin was musical directing Beauty and the Beast on Broadway and I called Michael and I was like listen if anything opens up that I can audition for we really want to I want to stay home now and and have a kid and you know settle down and not be touring so much anymore and um he was like something just opened something's open but one of the silly girls is is open come in he's like you don't have to sing for it because he knew my voice he said just dance and read for Babette because that's the cover you'll have to do and you know it's the silly girl slot with the Babette cover I said no problem I went in and booked the, booked the show and decided to make that my retirement j- job where I knew I could get pregnant and take a maternity leave and go back into the show very smart right so smart. I knew it was going to run forever. So I was in the show for about six months and then I got pregnant and I stayed for another three or four months into the pregnancy. And then once, once the costumes were too tight and they couldn't let them out and I couldn't get 
up from the jump splits um, <laughs> anymore. Because oh, girl, doing those jump splits. Almost doing a PK turn off the stage into the pit because my balance was getting all wonky, you know, at, at that point. I left and I took maternity leave. And yeah, that was, and then I did come back. I did come back about a year later. It took about, about a year off and, and then went back into it. And then finally- And when did you move to California? So that was a crazy thing. When my daughter turned about six, I don't know, was that like 2000? She was born in 97, 98, 2002-ish, 2003. Um, I decided to, to retire from the show. And I mean, I just kept thinking it was going to close. But like, all of a sudden, my kid is six years old. I'm still doing this show, right? So I was like, um, I gotta stop now. She was starting to have a life that she needed me around on the weekends, you know, for her ballet recitals and karate classes and soccer practice, all that stuff. And so uh, I quit. I had about a year after that where my husband had gone to Florida to start a new company. And then we decided to move out there like a year later. So like, I don't know, I guess it was around 2004. We went to Florida where we were, we lived for five years and um, it was, it was a great time. You know, he had a company that, you know, uh, that he was do- dealing with. He um, had retired from theater as well. And um, uh, my daughter was basically training in ballet again to be ballerina and also singing. And we figured she'd sort of go the Broadway route as well because that was her like natural her passion um and then she had an opportunity to audition for a, a Nickelodeon, you know, TV and film stuff. And anyway, that's what brought us out to LA is that she she ended up starring in a Nickelodeon show for many, many years. And so we came out to LA so she could do television. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And she's, you know, she did that show. So then I became like a stage mom <laughs> for the next, you know, five, six years while she was doing that. And uh, we had a little acting school out here too for kids to- Oh, know, wonderful business. Yeah. So, uh, we were doing, I was doing coaching, you know, coaching kids, coaching them. We still do a lot of coaching, uh, for kids that want musical theater, you know, that want to go that route. Uh, yeah, tend, like feel more comfortable in, in that arena. My husband's really good at coaching kids onto like Disney and Nickelodeon shows and stuff. We kind of know what that sells out. And, um, but our daughter's grown now. We've been out here for 10 years and she just signed a very big record deal with a very fantastic. Very, yeah, she's on and her way. She's so, the, uh, three years she'll be in the Grammys for sure. But um, she's so beautiful. And you, she, you. she reminds me of you. She also looks like your husband. And yeah, she's, she's, a mix. Just, she's a mix. She's, she's gorgeous. She's amazing, but she's she's a very again, you know, incredible work ethic, always training, always growing in all the fields and you know, just um yeah, hard work. You know, you know, it's really what is it is preparation meeting opportunity oh yeah and then what are some absolutely luck um what are some things that you noticed from the time when you were growing up to when your daughter was growing up what are some changes that you noticed in the industry so different now um first of all it's it's the level of of training and talent that these upcoming kids have I mean, they, they're really exceptional. And I guess it's like you saw that in the, you, if you watch the Olympics 50 years ago, a woman did a cartwheel. That was a big deal. Right. And now you see what they're doing. It's the same thing. Like 
the the range, the singing range that all of these females have now uh, is mind boggling. There's their mix is incredible. Their belt, they're the, the, that really crazy high belt. In my day, if you could belt a C above middle C, that was that was good. Now it's E F G. It's like all this crazy, crazy high belt stuff that no one asked you to do back then. You know, um, so that's like major. And this expectation that you know, even when I was starting out, there was still that semblance of a dancer part of the ensemble and a singer part of the ensemble and now it's like no you got to do it all equally well you know I mean if you watch the ensemble dancers in Hamilton they're all covering the leads they're all that good you know it's it's um so that's that's definitely changed that's that the game is upped a lot and the expectation for that that expertise that professionalism is is really intense I've noticed that and also just the way auditions are held now it's so interesting it's and it's going to be more of this since the pandemic is that you know going into the room is rare I mean everything my dog especially in Hollywood out here everything is on tape now you rarely get in the room you don't get in the room until you've submitted the audition tape maybe submitted another audition tape you know um, then had maybe a, a director's meeting online and then maybe you get together you know it's 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 hard to like and for me I'm a very in the room person it's about personality and it's about energy and that's such a hard thing to do on camera is a different animal. It's a different being real, being subtle, but having that energy. I don't, that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot for me. That's hard for me. I find that difficult. So I was very resistant at the beginning of the self tapes before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one time I, I got a self-tape audition and the only time I could get it together and submit it was on a Sunday morning and everybody else in my house was sleeping and I had a few hours to myself to do it. Then my attitude changed because I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to schlep into New York City right now. Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm home. Yeah. I could do as many takes as I that's, want. That's the good part about it is you can get it perfect. You can get it perfect. But I think, you know, when it's on tape, they can also watch it over and over and over again. When you're doing it live, even if you aren't as perfect as you could make yourself on the tape, it's it's all part of a flow. It's not something you rewind and watch over and over again, you know? So it's, yeah, I mean, listen, if you can master the art of the self-tape, that is a huge part of it. Because really it's, you know, there are people that audition really well and then they can't deliver when they get the job. And there are people that just do terrible auditions, but they're phenomenal performers, you know, and so mastering the two, you know, getting that, like, like just learning how to audition. That's an, that is an art in itself. That is as important now, more important, I think, than it used to be the art of the audition. I think you could have in my years ago, you could get away with, with maybe not as great an audition. And there was a little more leeway, a little more room for them going, well, we'll sing something else for, you know what? Okay. That's what, what else do you have? You want to do something? Or you could even say, you know what? I'm sensing that wasn't exactly what you guys wanted. Do you want, do you want something more? upbeat do you want something more legit like you know what I mean and and in asking those questions you're also showing your personality and like if I was going in for a role that was like a comic like a kooky role or quirky I could show that quirkiness in just my own verbiage and how I was relating to them behind the desk and you could charm people and you could charm them right giving you a second chance it's like with the tap thing when when that choreographer said to me you know I don't think you tap well enough to be in sophisticated ladies I literally got down on my hands and knees and like like play acted begging her you know 
know, and the sh- that show is going to be going to uh, Russia. And I remember saying, you you don't understand. You have to hire me for this. I'm Russian. This is like my heritage. Like, you know, these are my people. Like, you know, and I could joke around. And I think half the time it was just being like silly that that got me an, a second chance at something that I might not have gotten another opportunity to show off what I could do. Right. Do you have any aspirations to perform again? Or are you done? Um, I was definitely done for a while and and um, really had absolutely no desire to go back to it. I think because my husband was a musical director and a conductor and is a pianist, we do a lot of singing at home and, and we do a lot of coaching. And when we're coaching other singers, they always want to do a duet. They'll be like, do you know anything from uh, Sideshow? And I'm like, sure. You want to sing it with me? Or you want to do something from chess? Do you know this or that? And we'll sing together. And they're always like, oh my God, you're amazing. And that's fun for me. And that sort of gives me that like that high. I don't feel like I need to go do eight shows a week ever again. And also, I think I shared with you the last time we spoke that I, I can barely walk in heels anymore. The idea of having to put on character show, shoes and dance is like, no, that's never going to happen again. That's never going to happen again. So, I mean, no, I don't, you know, I got into the Trevor Project because like if I hadn't been a performer, I think my second passion would, would have been to become some kind of like a therapist. Yes. Um, and so that was like something I never pursued or looked at because I, I loved the performing. I, I it, 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 it filled me up the whole time I did it. And then I was busy, you know, with my daughter's career after that and coaching and then vol- volunteering at Trevor Project um, as a crisis counselor was in a, just really filled me up. And gave how me a- did that come about? How did you find out about the Trevor Project? It's so crazy. There were so many homeless kids out here in LA. I was constantly running into them. Like when I go grocery shopping, there'd be like young, attractive, <laughs> homeless kids. And I and finally, uh, I went up to one of them and just went, what's going on with you? Like, where are your parents? What's And I, I was hearing several times these same story of, well, I came out or they found out I was gay and they kicked me out. So I'm from wherever and I came to California and, you know, I, I didn't know what to say or do, you know, you give them some money, but then it was like, I, I, there's gotta be, I thought, you know, maybe I can make up like a laminated bus card or with some money in it with the LGBT center on it. And I could just hand out these cards and say, well, if you need shelter or clothes, you know, go to the LGBT center, youth center. And uh, I just wasn't sure what to do. And I thought, well, that, that was an idea I had. So I went online to look up like, where is the LGBT center and just started researching it. And the Trevor project popped up on my, and I was like, what is this? And I went to their website and they, there was a volunteer thing and I just clicked on that and they were having that night it was a Tuesday I remember thinking well this is so weird that night they were having an online orientation to possibly be be a volunteer and the whole thing was about uh, LGBTQ plus youth in crisis Um, and and how to help them uh, with a suicide crisis hotline and um, I just thought okay this sounds really interesting Um, so I did the online orientation and I was really interested after that and it was like how do I apply for this. And at that time, pre-COVID, there were only two call centers in the country that serviced the entire country. One was in Manhattan and one was in West Hollywood. Um, And I was like, okay, I can get to the West Hollywood call center. So I filled out the paperwork and I, and uh, they were starting a training class like right away, but I had sort of missed the cutoff, but they said, you know what, call in and do a phone interview and uh, maybe we can get you into that class. 
And so I did the phone interview. And after the phone interview, there was an in-person interview. And after the in-person interview, they decide whether you can take a class. And they they got me in right away, which was wonderful. And I did the, the training. And it was like 80 hours or something of, of um, classes. Like, and and then you, you know, it was phenomenal training, really phenomenal training. And um, then you could start on the, on the crisis suicide hotline. So I did. And just from the very first day I did it, I was like... Um, I'm great. I love this. Like, I'm very comfortable doing this, you know, and it was just one of the most, you know, I got in it to it to validate, you know, youth in crisis to validate people who are feeling suicidal, rejected, you know, um, in the community. And I always came out of every, every time I did a shift, I came off, they were the ones validating me, you know, it was, it was incredible. Just, you know, the gratefulness, the thing like from, from the callers of just to be able to process what they were going through and just to kind of be talked off that ledge, you know, when it was happening, de-escalated, um, just made me feel like this is what I meant to be doing. You know, it was very fulfilling. And so doing that, I, I, I never missed the, not, I didn't miss it for a second. Um, since, since, since the pandemic, cause I did get COVID myself and it took me a really long, took me about four months to recover from it. Um, I took a sabbatical and I have not yet gone back to it and I'm starting to now miss it. Like, like thinking, okay, um, only it's going to be very different now. It's a little intimidating for me because now they've created, they had to close the call center, but we can get the headsets and all the stuff we need and do it from home. Um, the scary part for me is that, you know, the majority of calls are not people killing themselves. They're, they're people who, it could be any kind of problems that you're having. A, a breakup, you're having, a, you've got a test coming up that you're anxious about in school. I mean, people call for all reasons. Um, and most of the time it's not that, you know, at a level 10, um, mm-hmm. it is at a level 10 when it's what, you know, you could call an imminent risk, you know, where you may have to send someone to someone's home, uh, to get them to the hospital or to intercede, uh, you know, an act, uh, a suicidal kind of act. Um, at, at the time I was at the call center, I had my co-counselors around me and was able, I'm able to ask for help because, you know, you're on the phone, you want to stay connected to that person while somebody else is maybe, you know, trying to find out what their address is or, you know, who, who else we need to call for an intervention of some kind. And that just makes me a little, a little nervous to do from my home, but, um, you know, eventually I'll get there, you know, it just, uh, right, you need extra support. You do. And, and you get that. And believe me, they, there is that like, well, when I'm on, when, when you're on a call from your home, there is, there is a crisis service manager. There is, there are other counselors online. It's just that I will have to, I will have to communicate with them online only. And I'm not the most technically proficient <laughs> person in the, I hate technology, you know? And it was always just, I just felt much calmer having the actual people, you know, in my face. Um, but, uh, but regardless of that, it's, um, it's an incredible organization. I mean, um, it's just, the counselors are amazing. They really are made. It really is like this, a safe private space that any, anyone can go to and, you know, find support. And I'm going to leave the number for the Trevor project in the yeah. show notes. Yes. It's, I mean, I can give it to you right now. It's, it's one eight six six. 488-7386. That's the hotline that you can call to speak with someone. And it's, it's 24, seven, 365 days a year. Um, and then if you're in a situation where you're not comfortable or you, you know, you're saying, you know, a lot of people are, are closeted. They, they have not come out to their families yet, but they're want to talk about it. And um, so there's, there's Trevor text, which is really great text and chat. 
which oh, is wow. a lot, a lot of people prefer to communicate. Um, and what you would do is you would text start S T A R T to six, seven, eight dash six, seven, eight. And then you can, you can, but no matter what you're looking for, you can always go online and Google the Trevor project. And like everything is there, all the information of, of, you know, for, for counselors and stuff is, is on the website. And there's, there's Trevor.org, which is the, it was just phenomenal. That's an online community, a completely safe, private online community where, you know, you can find folks who are going through exactly what you're going through. I um, mean, you could connect digitally all over the country with, with, uh, LGBT plus community. I that- love it. You know, all of this happened because you notice people, a lot of people just choose to walk by, you know, not make it part of their lives, but you took another step and you well, signed you know, up for the. I did. And I, it, it felt, it always was in me, you know, I've been the facilitator in my own family with my own relations, um, queerness. You know, I have a lot of, there are a lot of queer people in my family. Um, my sister, my, my ne- nephews and nieces, and all of them needed help navigating coming out to the rest of the family. And I was always that person. And maybe because, you know, that's my community. That's your community. I mean, when you're in the Broadway community for 25 years, you have all your friends are LGBTQ plus, you know, every, it's just not, it's, it, there's nothing not normal about that to me. Right. That that you know, and so your friends. these people, and and I I had heard these stories from my gay friends my whole life of you know being excommunicated from their families, being discriminated against. Um, I mean, I was deep deep in the community in theater during the whole AIDS crisis. You know, I lost more friends than I can even count to AIDS. I nursed friends who had AIDS, like. That's my world. I mean, it was just my norm. And so the idea that it's still a thing just blows my mind that it's still something people are discriminated against for is just weighs heavily on me. And so it just was a really easy, natural transition for me to, you know, now be talking to someone that could have been my niece or nephew on the street and just be like, this is not okay. Like, there's got to be something something I can do to support the community, you know, in a meaningful way. Um, I mean, when we did Broadway, we could do equity fight aids. We got to like, we got to do that stuff. What do you have to say to the listener who might want to do something? What do you suggest if someone wants to help? What do you suggest someone begin with? If they want to help, like work, like volunteer at the Trevor Project? Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's easy. I mean, you if you just go online like I did and hit volunteer, all the information you need. And you can call the, the offices and they will direct you in how to train for this. And now that you can do it from home, that makes it so much easier. Because uh, you can do it from anywhere in the country now. You don't have to be based in Manhattan or, or LA to, to do that kind this kind of work. You can do it from, from anywhere, which is a wonderful wonderful thing. Um, and we really do need more volunteers than ever because, um, you know, with the pandemic for a lot of kids, uh, I had repeat callers over four years that I, I, I always knew it was them, um, from like age 15 up to they've started college, you know? And I remember just, just trying to get them through each year, especially if they were from very ultra hyper religious families that would have kicked them out, you know, like you, you really talk to your callers and you make sure, you know, is it safe for them to come? that is it not safe if it's not safe if I determine it's not safe I'm not I'm not gonna encourage anybody to, to come out when when they could end up homeless you know then it's like what can we do what kind of coping mechanisms can we give you so you can get to college so you can get to and not just any a college that your parents pick but a college where you can find some community and support 
And so for a lot of these kids, once they get to college, it's like, it's an incredible thing for them because now they can find some, there's, you know, a gay straight alliance, there's an LGBT group, there's counselors, and they can like become their authentic selves with support. But because of COVID, a lot of the schools are making them homeschool. The colleges are making them. And so they are, they have to go back to a house where like their parents don't use their correct pronoun. You know what I mean? Where they're yes. just- you know, they can't get away from it. They're just trapped for God knows however much long. So that's causing a lot of depression, as you can imagine. Yes, and I can. A lot more than usual. And there isn't that light at the end of the tunnel of, you know, well, look, you might have to go home for the holidays and that's going to suck. But then you get to go back to school, you know, and, and once you graduate school, you get some roommates, you move out, you find your own way. You know, those options aren't really there right now for people. So it's a very desperate time and, and definitely, definitely need more volunteers. Thank you. What a journey, Lauren. I, I'm, I've always admired you. I've always looked up to you and respected you. But, you know, as time goes by, like, you're just like the richness of your life. And like, the, you're just such a good woman. Oh, you're going to make me cry, What would you say has been the most fun out of all of this life that you have lived? What is just one little fun thing you want to share with the listeners? Oh my gosh, there's so many fun things. Honestly, the funnest thing, I mean, you know, my look, the friends that I made through theater who are still my best friends and, and all the fun I've had with them, the, just the getting to get the get togethers. That is, that is the fun. That is the fun of my life. But the professionally, the most fun thing I'm going to say is when my daughter asked me to do a guest spot on her TV show. <laughs> And I love that episode. You were so adorable on it. I was literally just a mail lady, like delivering the mail, like with two lines or something. But that day of filming and the response to it all and the, the, just the, the whole idea that, oh my God, I'm like doing a guest spot on, a, on my kid's show. Like it was crazy to me that it was just crazy. It was just like... I, in a million years, would not have thought I, that would ever be happening, you know, that that I would have a moment like that, um, that we would just even be in that place in all our lives, that that would happen. And that was, oh, that was just so much fun. That was just so much fun. Yeah. So I but, love it. You know, life is fun. I mean, life is fun. You know, pool parties are fun. And, and I always tell people, honestly, booking the jobs for me was more fun than doing the jobs. Oh, same, same, really? the call, the telephone call. Like, yes! we would like to offer you. That to oh me God, was the biggest the best. high in the world, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is more fun to me. That was just those days. And I remember every single one of them, you know, just that like, you're just, you're floating on a cloud. You just float in and you can't wait to call your mom, you know, and, and tell your parents and whatnot. Like those were the, that was, that was fun. Is there any nugget that you want to leave us with, like to the aspiring actor, singer, dancer, someone who just wants to be a part of show business? What, what advice would you give someone who's just starting out? Yeah. Oh boy. That's such a double-edged sword. I think no matter what, you got to follow your passion. You you, you never, ever want to leave this planet or this life saying, I wish I had tried, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Just don't, you know, if you love it and you want it, go for it. It may not happen. 
you know, it's, it's a hard career. I'm not going to lie. There's, there's, it's a very small, you know, show business is a small group and we all know each other because we, once you're in it, you know, you're in it, but it's, it's, it's not easy. It's wonderful. I would not have traded it for anything in the world. I feel very grateful and fortunate I got to do it. So, you know, you train hard, you kind of have to, you have to be realistic and not realistic at the same time. You know, you have to, that's the, that's the, the, the advice, just balance, balance, you know, know your limitations, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, try to get better at the things you're not good at and know it's a, it's a hard road to haul, but that you have to follow your passion, right? What's the point? Yeah. Don't try to go after, you know, try and, and really honestly, as, as far as something that's important, get good training. Don't go to Dolly Dinkins dance studio, like find, even if you have to commute, do the commute, train with the right people. Otherwise you, you really, you're just wasting your time. You know, good advice. It drives me nuts. We get so many people who have come, I've been studying voice for six years and I'm like, yes. And you've been studying it wrong. And now we have to undo all of these bad habits and start from scratch. So like, don't waste your time and money on mediocre teachers. Find the best teachers you can find. That, that would be my, my most important piece of advice, I'd say. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So have you. <laughs> I get the best. I got the best. All right, sweetheart. Well, this is great. Lauren, thank you so much for your time today. You are just an angel. Where can people find you? Are you on social media? <laughs> I, I mean, I have an Instagram account, but you know, which you're welcome to go follow me. I mean, I haven't posted on it in a long time. It's just Lauren Kosserin, my name. Um, and it's mostly stuff, pictures of me and Kira together. Okay. You know, post stuff about her, but I mean, I'm pretty low key. I don't really, you know, but um, well, Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you to Lauren Kosserin for joining me on the Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast. Next week, we have British actress Samantha Stevens. If you are liking this podcast, please give it a review on iTunes. That would help a showgirl out a lot. The Showgirl Tip of the Day podcast has original music composed by Joshua Holloway. Find him on YouTube, Joshua Holloway Music. This podcast is written by Michelle Bruckner and edited by Michelle Bruckner and Joshua Holloway. Find me on Instagram, Showgirl Tip of Day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week with a new episode. Oh,